Live from the ACU of Texas studio, we are partnering with you in health. We're going to be highlighting some of Bay Area's top doctors, latest technology, and medical services. This is Bay Area Regional Medical Hour. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bay Area Regional Medical Hour. My name is Abby Lee, your host for today. And we've got an amazing group of people again today. So did you know that? Hey, Leon, did you know that March was Nutrition Month? Whoa, yeah, no. you didn't know I that. No idea. Oh, everybody else here knows that March is <laughs> Nutrition Month because that's what we're here to talk about today. But um, we, we have an awesome group of people today. We're going to be talking about um, adults. We're going to be talking about babies and nutrition. We've got a, a long list of things to talk to you guys about today. So if you're watching on Facebook, I see Terry's already watching. I'll add some questions, some comments along the way, and we'll be happy to answer those too. So if you haven't heard of Bay Area Regional Medical Center, we're the big blue glass building on Highway 3. You can't miss us. If you want to learn more about all of the services that we have to offer, you can go to BARMC.US. We also have a Center of Excellence in Bariatrics, so I'm super excited to talk to you, Dr. Ashadri, about that. We also have uh, Lindsay Hughes, our registered dietitian at the hospital. Here today, we're going to be talking about all sorts of nutrition stuff. I can't wait to get into the nitty-gritty of shakes and bars and which one's good and which one's bad. Everybody has questions about that too. And then we're going to talk to Courtney. She's our lactation consultant at the hospital talking about babies. We have some controversial topics that we're going to touch on. <laughs> so if you have questions about babies and nutrition, also uh, put those below because you know that's that's that can be interesting. I can't wait to talk to you about all of that. And if you um, cannot watch this whole thing live on Facebook you can go to vinyl draft radio and it's spelled d-r-a-f-t you can do vinyl draft radio.com you can go to the tune in app or you can say Google or Alexa play vinyl draft radio and you can watch us live there or past episodes are on SoundCloud or YouTube okay so let's get started you know every week it seems like we talk about diet and exercise for whatever it is so if you don't want diabetes we talk about diet and exercise. If you don't want heart disease, we always end up talking about diet and exercise. So I think it's very interesting that we're gonna talk about nutrition and how that really affects your whole body and all the different ways that you can manage that. All right, so you ready, Dr. Chaudhry? Sounds good. Okay, so let's talk about extra weight. How does that affect the body? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, extra weight or being overweight or even obese um, causes a myriad of conditions. Uh, that can affect your health in significant ways. And actually the biggest cost to our health system is obesity and its related diseases. Uh, so what diseases are we talking about? We're talking about type two diabetes, hypertension, which is high blood pressure, um, dyslipidemia or hypercholesterolemia, um, arthritis, obstructive sleep apnea. And most of these, not including arthritis, will lead to heart disease uh, down the line, which leads to heart attacks and strokes. So why do you think all being overweight affects everything, basically, or makes you more, have a more propensity, a higher propensity of having all of these things? Sure. So obesity in and of itself lends to the body being in a pro-inflammatory state. So that affects all organ systems from your heart to your kidneys to your brain to your muscles. Uh, it decreases blood flow to organs. So you start seeing the manifestations of these disease processes, um, especially in the cardiovascular system to your heart, et cetera. Okay, so um, what is metabolic syndrome and what does that have to do with being overweight? Sure, metabolic syndrome is a constellation or a cluster of uh, disease processes 
that are combined together. So uh, it all starts with truncal obesity or obesity within the abdominal cavity, uh, which leads to insulin resistance, which leads to glucose intolerance, which leads to diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, cholesterol. So the three main components aside from obesity are high blood pressure, cholesterol, and diabetes, uh, and that constitutes metabolic syndrome, which leads to heart disease and all the adverse side effects and the Sleep apnea. Problem. I think I cut you off on all you when you were listing all of those, but there, it affects the body in so many different ways. Yep. That's crazy. So, what are what are the risk factors for someone to get metabolic syndrome? So, the main risk factor is uh, obesity. So, what whatever you consume in versus what you put out. Um, people don't realize though that it's not just what you put in, but it's it's based on your genetic uh, predisposition predisposition as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of us will eat the same diet as say person B next to us, but we won't gain the weight as easily. Mm -hmm. So you have to really tailor your diet and your lifestyle based on your genetics as well as just, you know, based on what the FDA um, provides as a guideline. So how do you help patients figure out what their genetics and what they should be eating? So, I mean, diet as far as... um, you know, when you look at it from a general perspective, is similar to almost all patients. You know, reduce caloric intake, reduce simple sugars, starches. However, like somebody who's diabetic, um, they really need to have a carbohydrate restricted diet. Somebody who's hypertensive, who has kidney disease, may need to reduce their sodium level. So, mm-hmm. I think Lindsay Hughes can. Um, get into more detail uh, as far as <laughs> modifying diets based on your your type, I guess, for lack of better words. Do you have anything you want to add for right this second? Um, the reduced caloric intake, definitely, for people who are trying to lose weight. If there's, like Dr. Chaudhry was saying, um, diabetes, watching the carbohydrates, um, I think with kidney disease or heart disease, watching your sodium, sometimes watching fluid levels. Um, But just speaking in terms of general weight loss, reduced calorie intake, self-monitoring, which would include like writing down a journal. Oh my gosh, it is so hard to write a journal and then you don't eat a cookie because you're like, I don't want to write that down. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you have all your patients do that? I encourage them to. Yeah. Some, Some of them do and some of them don't, but I encourage them to just, even if it's just writing down what you're eating, not necessarily calorie counting or writing how many calories are in something, just right. writing down what it was, the amount that it was, because that can really when help. When you ate it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so Dr. Chaudhry, let's talk about BMI and when is someone considered obese and morbidly obese. Sure. So BMI stands for body mass index, which is measured uh, uh, with the calculation of kilograms over meters squared. But you can get online to Google and just put in BMI and you can calculate it based on your weight in pounds and your height in uh, feet and inches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 30 or more is a considered obese um, by the American Medical Association. So 30 to 35 is class one obesity, 35 to 40 is class two, 40 or more is class three, so on and so forth. So what are the options for people that have had some uh, trouble losing the weight? Because you're a bariatric surgeon, and I have to, we'll get to this in a minute, but I have to give you a little shout out because sometimes doctors don't always say their coolest part 
Um, so you're the only fellowship-trained bariatric surgeon in this area, am I right? Am I right about uh, that? You might be right. You don't know? I, okay, I, last I time I checked, research, so. you were the only fellowship-trained one, which we'll get into a little bit of your background, too. So talk to me a little bit about the surgeries that you do to help people lose the extra weight. Sure. The two main primary procedures that I do for bariatric patients is the gastric sleeve surgery, or the sleeve gastrectomy, and the gastric bypass. And uh, I tailor the procedure based on the patient's comorbidities or the conditions that are associated with their obesity, their age, um, their relative risk for surgical, um, undergoing a surgical procedure. Um, most people uh, opt for or are more comfortable choosing the gastric sleeve surgery because it is uh, a quicker operation, so there's less anesthesia time. However, my patients who are diabetic uh, and who are um, you know, candidates for the procedure I encourage the gastric bypass because of the uh, uh, the remission rates in gastric bypass, which are much more significant compared to the sleeve. Okay, so do you do surgery on people that are 30 and above, but they have comorbidities, right? So for to meet criteria for surgery, it's typically 35 to okay. 40 without comorbidities and 40 or above with without. Sorry, 35 or more with and then 40 or more without. And what does comorbidities mean for those people that don't know what that means? Sure, so com a comorbid condition is a condition that's associated with another disease process. So obesity is a disease, it's defined as a disease uh, by the American Medical Association. Um, a condition that's associated with that would be like diabetes, that's a comorbidity, mm -hmm. or high blood pressure. Or sleep apnea, sleep or apnea, something like that. arthritis, coronary artery disease, Okay. asthma. Oh, asthma too? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so we have a lot of people watching, and Marty is saying hi, Abby, and hi, Doctor. Hi, Marty, and hi, everybody else that's watching online. Um, let's talk about, we have like a minute left until we have to go to break. It goes by so fast, I know. <laughs> I have met so many of your patients that have had really great success stories. Can you tell us one real quick? Uh, off the, yes, off the top of my head, I remember one recently. Uh, 65 year old lady very sweet she came to see me in a wheelchair um, had a lot of medical problems on a lot of medications she weighed about 350 pounds or so um, so we prepped her uh, did the process she underwent uh, sleeve gastrectomy three months after her surgery she was off her uh, her wheelchair she was using a walker off most of her medications and then six months after she had lost about 80 pounds was walking without a walker. That's uh, awesome. So dramatic changes um, off most of her medications and uh, well on her way to, uh, you know, Wow, a better so lifestyle. she went She went from a wheelchair to walking and probably saving hundreds of dollars a month in medications that she didn't have to take anymore. Oh yeah, for sure. I love hearing stories <laughs> like that, that's awesome. My name is Abby Lee, your host of Bay Area Regional Medical Hour. And so we've got some people watching live on Facebook. Candace says that she's lost almost 150 pounds thanks to this awesome guy. <laughs> <laughs> so yay, that's, that's awesome. That's like a whole nother person, congratulations. Yeah. I, Candace. I, I can't even recognize Candace when I see her. I'm just like, wow. She's That's awesome. It. I mean, she's worked hard on her own, too. So That's very cool. A lot cool. of credit goes to her. Yay. Good job, Candace. Okay. And then the other question that we have is, I have heard you can weigh too much for a surgery. Is that true? Well, there are certain uh, guidelines from an anesthesia perspective that uh, prohibit surgical intervention for people who weigh over 500 pounds. 
So we try to get uh, patients to lose uh, a certain amount of weight so that they're candidates for a surgical procedure. Mm -hmm. uh, there is for blood clots, for pneumonia, for heart attacks around the perioperative period, which is the first 30 days, are sig significantly higher if they weigh over 500 pounds. So um, also from a technical standpoint, uh, you have to have you know OR beds that can accommodate. Uh, and I guess surgery instruments for that too? Exactly, longer instruments. Okay. So there could be some technical issues that could impede. Okay, so one of the other questions that we had was, so say someone had lap band, which is not, and we can talk about why that's not being really done anymore too. Mm -hmm. um, if they want to go from lap band to the sleeve, do you do that? Oh yeah, very frequently. Um, there's been a lot of complications with the lap band. There's a lot of people who are doing very well with it, um, but there's uh, about a 50% chance that there'll be some sort of complication down the line. and. Converted. What kind of complications? Uh, typically, uh, a slippage where the band slips to a distal part of the stomach and it can cause difficulty eating, a lot of reflux, heartburn, pain, nausea, vomiting. Mm. Those are the main symptoms. Um, for, for those reasons, uh, insurance will cover the band removal and even conversion to a different operation. So what are, what's the criteria if someone wants to go from lap band to like a sleeve so they have to meet the nih criteria for their bmi range between 35 or above um, and then have to have some sort of complication from their lap band okay. documented complication usually that's confirmed with the radiology or some sort of imaging study okay sounds good mm -hmm. and if anybody else has questions on that y'all feel free to put those on facebook as well so i hear a lot of people saying well i could go to mexico or wherever and have the surgery done what do you say to people who have comments like that well i've actually met a lot of people that have come to my office saying that they're planning to go there or they've considered doing that and there are success stories uh yeah. don't get me wrong but i think bariatric surgery and weight loss in general, and she needs to be addressed from a multifaceted approach. Mm -hmm. It's not just a surgeon. You have to have a dietitian who's on standby. You have to have somebody who's gonna follow up with you. I see my patients at least four times within the first year after their surgery. Mm -hmm. If you go to Mexico, unless you're gonna be following up with that doctor, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, because if you have any sort of questions, concerns, issues, you need your surgeon on standby. You need a dietitian who can help someone guide to you. just ask what's going on if you're having complications after the fact. Right. Sorry. Uh, you just need someone to like your ask your physician right. office exactly. if questions if you yeah. have complications or anything along right. the way. And also, you don't know the training that they've had either, unless you've really vetted them. You know, the training that we have in the U.S. They're all certified. Yeah. You know, from regular residencies and fellowships that. We can attest to and you said that you've fixed some other people's i've had people who've had complications like a leak or a stricture um wow after having it done in mexico and taking care of those patients yes wow yeah. so that's kind of scary yeah because they didn't go back because it they weren't yeah oh well, you're gonna get back to on a plane and go back down there yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about the prep process. So say someone's, all right, I have decided that I want to do surgery to help me lose weight and, you know, save some money on blood pressure medicine and help with my diabetes. We need to, we need to tell the story about the person that as soon as they were out of surgery, they didn't take their insulin ever again, yeah. which was awesome. Like yeah. I love hearing stories <laughs> like that. That's, that's truly life-saving sure. and it saves you a lot of money too. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about the, the process is to say someone has 
has decided that they want to do the surgery, what's their next step? So we'll have uh, our insurance verifier check to see if they have bariatric benefits. So if the insurance covers it, most insurances do cover it. Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't, then we talk about you know how to proceed, payment plans, etc. Uh, when they come see me, we talk about the different options, uh, what they've tried to do in the past to lose weight. If they really haven't given it a shot, I think it's better to start with you know, diet and exercise. Most people who have come to my office have already tried to lose weight, and they've documented that they haven't been able to successfully keep it off. Mm -hmm. The next step is for them to go to Lindsay, um, our uh, fabulous dietitian, who gives <laughs> them good nutritional advice pre-op and post-op because I think the success long-term is due to them being on a good diet plan after surgery. Uh, and then they also will see a psychiatrist. Uh, that's part of the uh, whole approval process for insurance companies. And that's mm -hmm. just to make sure that there aren't any substance abuse problems or any other um, you know, psychological barriers to their they'll success. They'll stick with it. And mm -hmm. then uh, is it like two weeks before surgery they have to go on a liquid diet? It, it varies depending on their BMI. Okay. So if they're about 40 or more, then I'll do a two-week liquid diet. Uh, if they're below that, it might be a week or five days. Oh, cool. Okay, mm -hmm. so talk to me a little bit about you. Why did you want to become a surgeon, a doctor first? Sure. So I, I grew up in a household where medicine was all over. I mean, my father's a surgeon. Uh, oh, cool. I did and, not know that. Yeah, yeah. He's retired now, but he'd bring home journals of surgical pictures and tell me about cases that he did, and I just thought it was really cool and wanted to help people out, and I liked the way he was helping people out is pretty cool so that's what got me into medicine and surgery oh so you just grew up with it around your house exactly and my mom was a nurse but i decided that i didn't want to be a nurse <laughs> <laughs> so what made you choose bariatric surgery uh, i just like how you can impact somebody's life with one surgery i mean mm -hmm. you can really change their entire life uh, i mean it can impact four five six ten different disease processes that they're dealing with uh, so just the fact that you know what they are at you know the first day you see them till about a year out is amazing so mm -hmm. when i was in residency and i was seeing these patients i was you know up, taken aback that this one procedure can really do that much yeah, and they look like a different completely yeah. different person psychologically emotionally uh physical obviously we know yeah. the health benefits so all of, all of the above so talk to me about your background your education where'd you go to school sure so i grew up in ohio uh, Cincinnati. Uh, Are you a to, Buckeyes fan? I am. I went to Ohio State University. <laughs> okay. Uh, I went to medical school in Saba. It's a school in the Caribbean. Um, oh, nice. Yep. So I was out there, and then I uh, went to Mayo Clinic for a residency, and then Cleveland Clinic for my bariatric fellowship. Awesome. So kind of did everything in the Midwest, and then... What brought you to Texas? The weather. <laughs> Minus the flooding, and we did The Astros and the Rockets. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's how you don't like the Texans? Oh, the Texans, of course. So. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bigger Bengals fan, but we won't get into oh, that. Oh, <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Let's talk about your office location and your contact information if somebody wants to make an appointment with you. Sure. Uh, my office is on 525 Blossom, so uh, in Webster, Texas, um, about two miles from here. And uh, my office number is 832-500-1275. Uh, you can go to my website, advancedhoustonsurgical.com, and get some more information. Okay, so um, we have about two minutes until we have to go to break. Um, do you have any parting words, like normal questions that people ask you as a bariatric surgeon that you would say to people? I think one of the things that people struggle with is that they think they're stuck in this, their state of uh, you know, physical being. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of obese people out there. You're not alone. They're 30 to 40% of the U.S. is struggling with this. 
but there is a way out and a lot of people feel like they're gonna be that way for the rest of their life um, you know obviously start with diet and exercise first if that's not working there are surgical solutions that are safe and effective and people their success stories all around us so it's just taking that first step to you know bettering your health and realizing that you can actually get out of the state of mind state of physical being you're in yeah, exactly. I remember there was a guy, I think his name was Gene, who was in our fashion show last mm-hmm. year. And his he came out on stage with his old pants. And they were, he could fit like three of himself in his old pants. It was cra- And he was just so excited about, I mean, he was like, I have, I'm not, I'm off of my blood pressure medicine. I'm a, he was like, my A1C is like one point away. <laughs> he was like, I'm almost there. Like, so you can see all of these people, how it's really and truly impacted their lives and right. really changed them for the better. I mean, they're talking about uh, playing with their grandkids and getting on the floor and playing with their grandkids. Like they've never been able to do that before. So um, it's just yeah. interesting Gene, to hear. Gene was them. one of those who was very hesitant in the beginning. And uh, now every time he sees me, he's like crying tears of joy. Yeah. He's, he's very emotional about it. Well, and he has a great story to share, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, all of them do, really. Right. And go from wheelchair-bound to being able to walk again, too. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're about to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Lindsay about everything nutrition. So if you guys have uh, – she's our registered dietitian at the hospital. So if you have questions about nutrition, we're going to talk about how much water you should be drinking. Are shakes and bars actually good for you? And what you can look for on the nutrition label what she looks for to really make sure that you're getting the right food um, for for whatever you're trying to do so so we just finished up talking to dr. Chaudhry our bariatric surgeon the only fellowship trained bariatric surgeon that I know of I'm gonna put that as like my <laughs> asterisk for this area and now we're gonna talk to Lindsay so March is nutrition month so she is our registered dietitian at the hospital Ooh, look ask all of your questions now because it seems like every week we're on the show and we're always talking about how diet and exercise can affect your body and disease processes and all of that mm-hmm. so um, to keep on track with our bariatric, I'm just going to ask you a couple questions on bariatrics, wh- how you help your bariatric uh, patients that you get from Dr. Chaudhary, and then we're going to mm-hmm. go into all these other fun things, okay? Okay. So talk to me about your, uh, you meet people right at the beginning when they're thinking about having the surgery or they've decided, how do you help bariat- o- severely obese patients get ready for surgery? So... Typically, they meet first with Dr. Chaudhry, and then they'll come to see me. Um, Some of them will see me one time before surgery, some three, some six. Um, A lot of times, that just depends on what their insurance requirement is. And Mm -hmm. during that pre-op program, we work on making behavior changes. Um, So, And that's kind of what I emphasize more than, say, a meal plan or a restrictive diet. It's making these behavior changes. Mm -hmm. So learning to reduce the simple sugars stop start to eat less food watch your portions we talk about portion control and what appropriate portions are Um, and then we usually go over the post-op diet and the pre-op diet that you were talking about earlier Um, everybody loves that one (laughs) that's the one that I hear of the most whenever Uh we were doing all of that okay so what recommendations would you give to someone who is not necessarily looking at surgery options but they're Mm -hmm. just they're not necessarily severely obese but they have a couple pounds that they want to use what recommendations do you generally give to people that are looking to lose a little bit of weight so 
It starts with a reduced calorie diet. And like I mentioned before, self-monitoring. So writing a journal, write, writing down what you're eating, and um, and really kind of figuring out, you know, are you eating as much or as little as you think you are? Because a lot of people underestimate what mm-hmm. they're what they're eating. So that can kind of be the first step to figuring out what you need to do. And sometimes, I mean, I don't want to discredit myself as a dietitian, but sometimes people know what they're doing that's that Wrong. they shouldn't do, yeah. right? So. Uh, maybe it's reducing those added sugars, avoiding the sugar-sweetened beverages. Um, most Americans consume way too much added sugar. Sweet so, tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of it comes from beverages. Mm-hmm. Mostly beverages, and then after that would be your sweets, your cookies, pies, yeah. cakes, things like that. Um, eating more vegetables, going more towards a plant-based diet. So still eating meat, but eating less. Yeah, Most of us are eating too much yeah most so if my mom is watching every time she's like eat more vegetables Mm -hmm. like that's her staple comment so mom Mm -hmm. i'm looking for you so you can Mm -hmm. post it online because she's always like vegetables are key Mm -hmm. we had another doctor on here that was saying like half of your plate should be vegetables is that generally what you tell Mm -hmm. say to people yep i actually just before i got here i did an education with somebody that did not want a long drawn out diet it was it was an inpatient education and i said okay just make half your plate vegetables a quarter of your plate a lean protein and then a quarter of your plate starch yeah you know and try to make it a whole grain try to make it high fiber and um and for this person that's that's all they they wanted that's all the information they wanted keep it simple yeah Mm -hmm. that's awesome so do you give recommendations on exercise i do um for most of the people that i'm seeing um, they're either doing not a lot of exercise at all to begin with, or they maybe have mobility issues. So I stick to the general 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week if you can do it, unless your doctor's told you otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, for weight loss, you do need more, um, but I usually kind of defer out to either an exercise physiologist or the physician to give those recommendations. Dr. Chaudhry. So I agree with everything that Lindsay is saying. Uh, for my patients, I don't tell them that they have to do a specific type of exercise. What I tell them are two, two, two things. Uh, get their heart rate up mm-hmm. and sweat. So if they're tired after working out, then they did something that was, you know, burning calories. Yep. If you're walking six miles but you didn't break a sweat, you really didn't do much. <laughs> does yeah. it count? No, no it doesn't. And, oh. I, and I honestly, do that. that's not actually good for your heart. Uh, prolonged walking without actually really pu- pushing yourself. Like endurance, like, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, interesting. And, and I do talk to people about that because they'll say, well, yeah, I walked my dog. And I go, how many times does your dog stop and, you know, <laughs> sniff the flowers? And that doesn't count. You have to yeah. walk your dog, put the dog back, and then go for a walk. Yeah. Your but it also out. depends, okay. like, uh, if they have any arthritis and those kind of mm-hmm. issues. And, you know, seeing a physical therapist can really. Um, hone in on what you can and cannot do cool okay so let's talk about shakes and bars okay are you do you believe in meal replacement shakes and and bars okay if so which ones do you recommend do you recommend any okay <laughs> so um we do know that meal replacement shakes and bars can work in medically supervised weight loss programs people will lose weight um with those but um on the flip side of that some people maybe will not do well with that you know mm-hmm. it i think deciding if you're going to do that is kind of you know you need to meet with your doctor and 
and talk about that and figure out if that's something that can work for you. I think it works for people with busy schedules that just say, just give me a bar, give me a shake, I'll do this, and you know. Do you, so do you like them as replacement meals or more as like snacks? So if you're just using it every now and then as like a meal replacement, because it's that or skipping the meal, I think it's a good idea. So then you have something rather than yes. nothing. Okay. So then you're looking at guidelines um, or looking, reading the label, looking for added sugars. So trying to choose one that's low in added sugars um, and high enough in protein that it's going to keep you full for a little while. So what's, what do you, what is high enough protein for you? So if it's just a snack, like in between um, breakfast and lunch, I wouldn't go over 200 calories for that bar trying to choose something that has less than five grams of added sugar. However, like if you're looking at something like a whole food type of bar, like an RX bar, those have 14 grams of sugar, but it's coming from dates. So okay. it's dates, egg whites, almonds in this little like bar. Like whole food mm-hmm. type stuff, so, real food. Yeah, so that, you know, I think that's good. If you're, if you're getting hungry between a meal and just getting something like that, that's a good option. Is there like a protein gram that you look at for a snack? Um, at least 10. 10 grams of protein? If it's like a protein bar, yeah. 10. Okay. Mm -hmm. 10 to 12. All right. Um, So we were talking about other things about shakes and bars earlier. You were talking about nutritional content and things that you look for on the label. What are things Mm -hmm. that you look for to make it like a good bar? Because there are some out there that's like, oh, yeah, there's this chocolate chip cookie dough one, but it's (laughs) like 500 calories in it. And it's right. You might be better eating a Snickers, you know. So So what do do you look for? Yeah. So um, trying to look and make sure that I. First, it doesn't have too much added sugar. Um, check the calorie content. Um, I think we were talking earlier about the premier protein bars, mm-hmm. which those are a little bit higher in calorie um, calories than most of the other bars. So if it's a true meal replacement, then it would probably be fine to use, but you wouldn't want to use that as a snack because the calories on that would be too high. Okay, so you like Premier and RX, note Mm. to self. All right. (laughs) So how much water should people be drinking a day? Um, For most people, eight eight glasses, eight to ten glasses a day is fine. Um, I, when I see patients, I individualize their fluid needs. Some people need more, some people need less, but just as a general rule, yeah, 64 yeah, ounces. We were talking yeah. earlier, and I did not know this, but CH congestive heart failure patients can't have more than like three bottles of water a day. They like I've never heard of people being restricted on water. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, talk to me about plant-based diets. I know you you're passionate about that, mm-hmm. and you like that. So why do you yeah. like it? Um, I mean, the research that backs plant-based diets and Mediterranean diets, it's there. It's strong evidence. So what does it mean Um, to be plant-based? So you're kind of like we talked about before, half your plate is vegetables, vegetables, a quarter of your plate, a lean protein, and then a quarter of your plate starch. So So does that mean you don't eat meat at all? No, no, you can still eat meat. Um, It's just not the star of the show. You know, think of it as... um, you know, complementing the meal, you being a flavor enhancer rather than the, the main event. Meal. Yes. Uh, so when you go to Perry's, don't get a filet, get like a salad. Yeah. Well, I don't know about <laughs> just that. Just a plate of broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> just, just not every day. You know, you're, you're every, on an everyday basis, you're not having a filet. 
right. which I don't think most people are. No, probably but, not. But um, the the fact is that as Americans, we do not eat enough vegetables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to get more. Mm-hmm. As do you have any uh, tips that you give to people to get more vegetables in their diet? Um, try try something new. Try something that you have never tried before. Just go to the produce section and pick out something new and Google a recipe. Spaghetti squash is my favorite mm-hmm. and also um, frozen vegetables because they uh, they last, right? Other stuff, yep. if you don't cook them within a certain mm-hmm. amount of time, then they won't last. Yep. So, and try anyway. roasting them too. Oh, hey. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to be... Oh, before we go on to Courtney, we need to talk to Lindsay real quick about how if someone wants to make an appointment with you as our registered dietitian, they have questions. How do they make an appointment with you? Um, so our phone number is 281-525-7173. But um, first, I do need a doctor's order. So primary care doctor um, or you know, your cardiologist or whoever can send an order. Okay. Um, us awesome okay. okay courtney you ready to talk about yeah. babies yes oh, let's so talk, talk about babies because not just because i'm pregnant because they're all cute right well yes all of the above all of them are cute okay so when babies are first born they don't really need a whole lot of food how big are their stomachs is it like the size of a pea no it's a little bit bigger oh, okay. um, yeah so it's the size of day one it's the size of a cherry but you're oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So they don't need a whole lot. And the colostrum that you've typically been making starting around 16 to 20 weeks pregnant, as long as the baby is perfectly healthy, that's all baby needs. The colostrum is kind of like a mini protein shake, I'll call it. <laughs> so even though the volume is small, uh, what's in it is compensating. It has extra protein, extra sodium to sustain baby while baby's tummy is little. Isn't it amazing how when you're breastfeeding, your body just makes what the baby needs? Yes. That's so awesome. Yes. So like if you have a preterm baby, um, your body, so if you have, um, whether you deliver at like 28 weeks, 32 weeks, your body will make special preterm milk for four weeks. Really? Yes, because oh, you're, isn't wow, that amazing? That. Like your body and breast milk is amazing. That is yeah. so cool. So how often are babies supposed to eat? Newborn babies are supposed to eat 8 to 12 times in 24 hours. That seems like a lot. How often? Like, is that every two hours, every three so, hours? So, you know, that's why we say eight to twelve. <laughs> Leon's like looking up going, oh my gosh. <laughs> Remember, their tummies are small, so it digests pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, eight to twelve times. There's not like, a, oh, your baby has to eat every two hours, has to eat every three hours. Um, because the baby, especially in the first uh, couple days, goes, goes through um, sleep-wake cycles, and so and different stages like the first couple hours the baby is super alert and then goes into a sleepy phase for the next 24 hours so for the first 24 hours your baby might only eat eight times Mm -hmm. then the second day the baby is more awake asks for more feedings so the second 24 hours your baby might eat more like 10 11 12 times in 24 hours Oh, so second day is like, okay, baby's It's the here. real deal. It's the real deal. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about mom's breast milk and formula, and when is it necessary to supplement? Sure. So, um, like I was saying, as long as your baby is perfectly healthy, there is no reason to give formula supplementation. Um, and actually, if your baby's perfectly healthy, uh, adding formula supplementation can delay the milk initiation process. So it can delay that next milk from coming in, and you can also have a lowered milk supply. 
So that's for medically unnecessary supplementation. Now there are there are times when your baby will medically need to be supplemented. Say in the hospital, um, all babies lose weight, mm-hmm. but typically we don't like babies to lose more than 10% of their birth weight or um, babies that have an elevated bilirubin level or uh, jaundice, that's the yellowing of the skin. They sometimes need to be medically supplemented and then um, babies that have low blood sugar. Now, dep- every Whoa, you check the baby's blood sugar when they're born? I did not know that either. Certain babies. Learn something Big new every babies, day. little babies, babies born early, and babies whose mothers are diabetic. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. yep. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So those babies might need to be supplemented, but a lot of times they don't need formula. We can get mom doing hand expression or the pump and supplement with her own breast milk. So why is it so important for moms to breastfeed? Because the AAP, or the American Academy of Pediatrics, recommends it for uh, exclusively for six months, um, and then in conjunction with complementary foods for up to a year or longer as mutually desired. But breast milk is has a lot more things in it than formula. Breast milk has over 500 components. If you put breast milk under a microscope, it's like alive. All the live, it's like moving around, all the live things in there. That's all the antibodies. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And you, I guess formula doesn't come alive when you put it, it under a microscope. Formula is not, it's just, it's not alive, no. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And so as the baby gets older, your, the, your breast milk changes for the mm-hmm. baby's needs, it right? It changes to meet the nutritional need of the baby. Yep, so your colostrum, um, your body knows that you're delivering a baby with a weakened immune system. So during the colostrum phase or the first milk phase, that um, that milk has more antibodies or things that help fight infection than any milk you're ever going to make. Hmm. But say, um, so one question we get a lot right now, it's flu season. Mm-hmm. Oh, should I stop breastfeeding if I have the flu? The answer is no, because your body has already created um, immunity to the flu and you're basically passing you know a little vaccine onto your baby every time oh wow yeah oh cool so what are important things for moms to moms to remember when they are breastfeeding a baby just have patience give yourself a little bit of grace um it's just a stress it's a super stressful time you know they want to do it right and they want to you know just give yourself some patience and um the one thing with breastfeeding to know is the more you breastfeed, the more milk you're gonna make. It mm-hmm. works on supply and demand. Your breast is not a faucet. <laughs> it just doesn't come out. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's supply and demand. The more yeah. you take, the more you make. That's, uh-huh, I agree. And you guys mm-hmm. are there to help moms who mm-hmm. deliver at our hospital to help them with whatever issues or mm-hmm. questions that they have. Yeah, we service a multitude of needs, whether that's the first time mom and it's really just a lot of latch and positioning and making sure the baby's transferring milk, whether it's, oh, I'm going back to work in six weeks, like, tell me about pumping or, Mm -hmm. um, and everything in between there. Okay. So should moms feel guilty if they have trouble? No. I mean, that's why I have a job. (laughs) Right? So where can moms find out information after they've delivered the baby and they're not inside the hospital anymore? Where do you send people to find information on how to get their questions answered or if they run into any problems? Yeah, so a lot of times your pediatrician has really good breastfeeding resources. 
Um, we have a couple of really good websites we like to refer people to. Kellymom.com. Um, I don't like to people to like Google into the depths of the internet. That kind of scares me. Um, so Kellymom.com, the Texas WIC website, uh, it's www.breastmilkcounts.com. And um, WIC, we, WIC is a, an amazing um, nutrition support in the community. So if people aren't, you know, um, enrolled with WIC, we really encourage enrollment. And then um, there's a website called Halcea, Houston Area Lactation and Education Association. You can look up independent lactation consultants or um, like in office ones. Okay, so let's talk about a controversial subject oh, topic. Geez, I told quick. you I don't like controversy. <laughs> I guess we're gonna get into well, this. it can be because you can find all sorts of stuff. Whenever I was yeah. breastfeeding my son, it was you, there's so much stuff out no there. Judgment, so, no, no judgment. No judgment at yes. all to judgment anybody. Even zone. if you did this, okay. So what about rice cereal and breast milk or formula? So you're talking about in the bottle yes. to make the baby sleep longer. Yes. So. Okay, so talk to your pediatrician, but that is generally not recommended. Why? So a couple of things. Um, they're, they're really the studies are really out on actually whether that makes your baby full longer, and um, you're you're kind of doing a detriment to your milk supply. Um, the more you take, the more you make, right? And um, your prolactin level, which is your breastfeeding hormone, is highest at night. So if you're trying to make your baby sleep longer by give, you know putting rice cereal in the bottle or giving it a bottle of formula before you go to bed, you're lowering oh, defeating your the purpose. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Your baby is supposed to regulate your milk supply. Okay, so we were talking earlier about rice milk being completely like banned, not banned, okay, but not just take, banned. But and like maybe not nutrition can wait. <laughs> so the okay, so and after. If you're breastfeeding breast milk or mm -hmm. formula yep. and you start transitioning into first foods, mm -hmm. what's the best first food? So some of the studies are not, and, and pediatricians are kind of getting away from the rice cereal, the oatmeals. Um, again, talk to your pediatrician about your plan, but they're just saying start with good nutritious foods like avocado. has good calories in it, um, and you just mash it up. Or that we talked about baby led weaning. That's a, another controversial topic. I still don't even know what you're meaning by that. But okay, baby led weaning. Yes. Let, letting the baby eat real food, food. real by textured themselves. food instead of without being mashed up, basically. Yeah. The gums mash it up. Your your um, juices in your mouth mash okay, it up. Okay, so one more controversial topic before we go. When do you stop breastfeeding? Whenever you'd like. It's up to you and the baby. No judgment. No judgment. We are in a judge-free zone. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Courtney. And if uh, someone has any questions, how can they reach you? Our phone number at the hospital is 281-525-7558. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start uh, support groups at some time soon, too, I hope. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so uh, that concludes our Bay Area Regional Medical Hour today. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. We are so excited that you're here. Please come back next week, next Tuesday at 4 o'clock. We'll be back with another episode. Thanks so much. Y'all have a great week.